Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large 100-plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, and today we've got a, well, I think it's going to be a fantastic podcast. I hope it doesn't bore you guys, but this is like the meat. Oh, the meat. That's right. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Amazing. Most amazing episode we've ever had. (laughs) So one of the things that we're doing today on this podcast is we're going to go through numbers. That's right. We're going through underwriting and going through numbers, and I'm going to try to keep this. Um, I, I I don't want to say it's simple because obviously, if we just start spitting out tons of numbers and everything, it doesn't it won't make a lot of sense because you're not looking at it. So we're going to talk about underwriting, and I'm going to start including different things like we're going to talk about expense ratios and adjustments within underwriting, why we make them, how we make them, what should be expected, if that makes sense. And that said, if you guys like this, this episode is going to be so packed full of value for you guys in your underwriting and how this process looks for us and how you guys can apply that to facilities that you're looking at, deals you're looking at. I would suggest maybe listening to this when you're able to take notes and actually really dive into this and extract all the value out of here, or maybe listen to it once and then sit down after the fact with a notebook, go through, kind of write some of the stuff down so it can help you better paint the picture of what exactly we're talking about, what we're looking at, and where these numbers are coming from. Exactly. And now to start this off and to lay the foundation, I will be talking about um, a project that we have just done recently. So these are all up-to-date numbers. These are all everything that we're evaluating now. It's not like we're evaluating something we did 10 years ago and we're like, look how well it's performed, anything else like that. We're, this we're really just looking at how we underwrote, why we underwrote the way we did right? And what that means. Now, I also want to make sure that we know, understand um, our way that we do underwriting and valuation, we do it on the property basis. So what that means is we're not including, and I'm not talking about GP, LP splits, nothing like that. We're not talking about investors, total returns. We're not, we don't get into that at all because that's not how we look at properties. So our underwriting procedure is we don't care about the investors. We're finding great deals. After the fact, we'll bring in investors. Then we'll look at splits. We'll look at total returns, things like that. Um, The reason we do this is we don't ever want to be in a position where we're justifying that we're doing anything else. We have very stringent requirements and the asset is self the self storage facility it is not the investors so there's no reason to think about them until we know this is a great buy um it is a very different kind of approach that our firm takes 
than a lot of syndicators do, where um, we just want to get a really good deal, a good buy. We do not view the investors as the asset. So we're not going to get into it because that's not how we underwrite. Um, with that said, we're going to talk about uh, property. This property is a bigger property, and I will talk about um, smaller properties. We'll talk about different management styles as we go through this. But right immediately before we get into our underwriting, um, when we're actually doing projections and numbers, we should also put into place, we've already done our market analysis to make sure that there was demand, um, to make sure that this is a good market that we want to be in, that it meets all those requirements, okay? We're, we're Right now, we're now saying, okay, this market's great. We have an asset for selling it. We want to be into it for a whole bunch of reasons. Now let's start looking at the numbers. All right, so first things first. When we're looking at our projections, when we're looking at our numbers, we have a baseline for our value-add strategy of a required um, 20% internal rate of return. Our internal rate of return, we will include in that a refinance period after three years, um, which the refinance period is contingent on um, uh, different loan structures that are not as favorable as what we get today. So higher interest rates, we don't include like interest only, nothing like that. So we're very conservative on that refinance in three years. But if the refinance in three years doesn't happen, it doesn't matter. So lots of times, and I have a big issue with this, a lot of people will show properties and they'll include in their internal rate of return, oh, well, we're going to sell it at a four cap at this revenue in five years. And all of a sudden, all their numbers look great. The reason I have a problem with that is you're really betting on a lot of things that are going to work out in that time frame. Crystal that, ball yeah, it. you're going to have an offer <laughs> that it's – and I, I just don't – that doesn't work for us. If my numbers are contingent on us selling the asset at a super high price, um, I don't want to be doing the asset or I don't want to be buying that asset. So what I generally look for is that at the refinance period that we could have all our money out of the asset. And that's contingent on short-term value increases that is already existing in the market. This is our next thing that we do. I do not include outside numbers that don't exist in a market. What that means is when I'm looking at rates, when we're looking at other things in the, the market, if it's not already there, we don't put it in because I don't know if it can be achieved or not. I can make all our numbers look much better because in almost all our markets, we are the market leader, meaning we're higher than all the rest of the rates in the market. But if I just underwrited that, I'd be underwriting once again, non-tested unknowns. And of course, I could make our numbers look fabulous if I did that. But it would also be, I think, doing a disservice because that is not a known thing. We talk about the money on the table. Remember, we talk about evaluating what is currently existing and can be seen. That's how we're underwriting this. So with that said, we get into it um, here. The first thing that we're looking at is we're looking at the overall rate structure and we're looking at how long it would take us to maximize through revenue management, through advertising, through all of these things to get to a certain price per square foot or certain revenue basis. OK, 
Okay. So we view every single unit as its own profit center. So when we underwrite, we take all of the units and we list them out individually. Then we go through the entire market and we look at everything from supply, demand, offerings, quality, and we price the individual unit, right? And we price it at below what the top competitors are. So in this model here, we start out and we say, okay, this is what we're doing. We're buying a property at $5.5 million, okay? The total square footage um, of this property is right about um, 85,000 square feet. And on this property, we're looking at a 40% internal rate of return in just over three years with a, with an equity multiple of three, okay? So how do we get that or how do we look at that? That's including the refi period. Without the refi period, we have a payback period of right about seven years and an equity multiple of 1.5 being non-aggressive, conservative, and just doing a standard on as we're going. So we view that as our, our baseline, right? So this is what would happen if we just did nothing. We just basically raised rents. We tried to manage it well and then just kind of walked away, let it do its thing. And we could have our uh, totally paid back in, in seven years. Now, we also don't include in our models uh, that are 10-year models. We don't include multiple refinance periods, nothing like that. So we're looking at this property um, a refinance in year three at about a 40% return. So how do we get that? We break down the unit mix. First, we focus on revenue. All self-storage units are broken down. We're looking at the total amount, their size. We're looking at them over a um, multiple year period. Um, we look at them at a 10-year period and what we could get those two. So we have... In general, we have about a three-year period to get them up to market rates. And then after that, we have a, a yearly rental rate increase of 6%. Um, that is far below anything that we normally receive. How our rental rate increases work is they're standardized or they're individualized. And they usually range anywhere from 8 to 12%. And every individual gets one every about, um, I think we're at about nine months on average. So every single month, a whole bunch of people are getting individual rate increases. So that takes us to our stabilization period, right? And how long it's going to get to actually hit those numbers. At first year one, we are at 79 cents a month, a square foot. Now we are going to be very aggressive in the first three years and try to get that to 89 cents for all those units um, on average. Some units will be able to get much higher, others we won't, depending on market supply and demand. So it's very individualized, okay? Every unit is a product, and just because we can get aggressive on one side of the unit doesn't necessarily mean we can with another one, and we have to account for that. A lot of people just do generalized, and they look, oh, well, we can generally get all these units or all these, and we can get square foot, and they, it, that doesn't play out in reality. Um, I'm. It's always interesting for me to see people that underwrite storage facilities that either haven't been doing it very long or they don't manage their own facilities because it shows in their numbers. Their assumptions are completely 
completely wrong. I think um, it's a good overall rule as far as generalizations go, whether you have market generalizations where people are looking at the market as, as in like a national storage market. Yes. Where, you know, it's very hyper-local or when it comes to numbers, it's like it's very hyper-local in this aspect very hyper-local. that there's not any generalizations ever. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a, such a, a good point. Yes. And we try to get exact. We, once again, we do the only thing that is up for, um, I guess you could say debate or in question would be the refinance in three years. But once again, the property doesn't need that to be successful. We don't need to do that, anything else. Everything else is below market rates. It's known. It's existing in the market. We can test all of these assumptions today. We're not just making up future assumptions. Um, And that is a very key core part of what we do. And um, we break that all down and we have to look at all of it. We look at historical relevance to justify what we can accomplish. So for an example on this one, the the owners had never risen rates. They were their friends, they had done, and the whole entire market had gone way past them. I mean, we're talking in some cases double the rates and their product was um, excellent. In fact, in a lot of circumstances, it was better than the product that uh, the market had that was double the rates. It was fantastic. Yes. And what was crazy to me is they had actually built it this way, and they knew that yes. when they first started, but they never raised rates yeah. ever, they, which is so crazy. They built it saying, <laughs> we want to build the best product uh, in it, yeah, yeah, and they did. They never raised rates, and the whole market went by them. So when we look and we come in at the product, we're measuring where the market's currently at with zero occupancy for those product types, and they've stayed put, which tells us – and they've been 100% occupied. So – We look historically to see if they've ever tried and if there's reasons that we can't see maybe that they hit a wall or they were testing something or our assumptions may be wrong that they've tested out. And that's not the case at all in this. Um, It's it's clearly neglect. Um, So from there, that's our revenue. That's how we're looking at the overall revenue. That's how we're working out. the revenue potential and stabilization of that revenue to market within three years. Um, And the next thing that we really start to dive into is the expense, how that expense is associated with um, these products and getting it to that point. Now, sometimes when you have underwritten a property, We've seen this uh, multiple times before. Some of the largest expenditures, particularly depending on where you're at, is not taken in account for and it's not adjusted. One of these are taxes. So whatever the current owner's taxes is, is irrelevant because when I buy it, there's a new tax basis and my underwriting has to be adjusted for that. And we've seen properties that either people have bought or they've been presented to us where there was no tax adjustment made. And they all of a sudden thought that they were getting a good deal and the deal ended up either being horrible or it ended up just eating up all their cash flow. And in some cases, it can literally take you into negative territory. So you were underwriting it under false pretenses on what the future expenses are going to be. So we underwrite at the new adjusted ones, which you can work with the county. You can see what all, all that is. You can talk to them. You can even have a third party go out to give you um, 
uh, an exact number on how that they are going to work and how they're going to uh, raise those taxes dependent on your cost basis and depending on the rules of the county. So how that county adjust for those taxes. So on this property, we uh, the broker luckily was a good one and he'd already done this before. So we had underwritten that increase in that expense up to its new basis. Now, the next thing that we look at and that we almost always increase is um, our insurance liability. We take a standard 2% for repairs and maintenance that's ongoing. And we also hold capital in reserve. So when we look at our reserve capital, I'll tell you for this property, how much we put in there. So on this property, we start out with 50,000 and then we move 2% into repairs and maintenance. And we allow that to build up until we get a good healthy reserve. This will depend on properties um, and what all needs what either our maintenance that needs to be done upfront or what future maintenance could be. So that will depend on how much we reserve. This property was in excellent condition. We had another one that we did actually in the same market, which was two facilities. We put in a quarter of a million to start out. And then we um, had higher reserves because there was just a lot of maintenance that needed to be done on that. Um, so, that is an ongoing expense at 2%. That may die down depending, but we keep it standard. Um, so we have a administration. We usually use around 3.2%. Payroll call center equals to be around 6% of the total cost. We have professional um, management fees, which is always 6%. We, don't, we, we charge 6% for our management fees, but we do not take fees on anything else. It's a flat 6%. There's no insurance. There's not, nothing like that. That all goes back to the gross profit revenue. And even, by the way, if we are uh, not operating this with other people or anything else, we include that. That goes to the management side and what we have to do. Or if you're doing third party, that obviously needs to be included. On this site, the utilities were about 3% advertising and promotion. This is a set 3.42%. And I'm going to talk about why that's set. I see a lot of people, they'll do set, but then we're going to get up to occupancy and then we're going to lower it. Um, I see this a lot, actually, because one of the things particularly people with small operate, uh, operations do, they come into it with an idea that our biggest win here is we're going to lower expenses. Um, now, this can work. And in fact, this needs to work on smaller properties when you're dealing with things like the payroll and admin, because this payroll and admin is only 6% of our, the payroll call center is only 6% of our total amount on this property. But if this was a smaller property, that would be much, much, much bigger, right? So like at this property starting out, we have a 37% expense ratio, which once again, we keep good, healthy expense ratios and we don't pare down things like advertising and promotion, which is $25,000 a year on this property. The reason being is even when we're full, we're raising rents so fast that we're kicking people out and we're refilling it with much higher place rents. So if you chart that over multiple year period, that advertising fee benefits you so much because you're replacing lower 
paying tenants with higher paying tenants consistently. So your overall growth and revenue is substantial. That also goes into dynamic pricing, things like that, that we do. It's a major, major benefit on our properties that are so big. Our payroll expense is uh, 6%, right? Which is around $43,000, which pales in comparison in the revenue that we bring in when we're talking about other fees, things like that, and services that those individuals do. And at some properties, we have two, three employees. Um, once again, it's it, it's so small in comparison to our gross revenue, and we can directly attribute that payroll with their upsells and with everything else that they're doing on the property. And when you get into properties of this size, it's not logical to not have a person. Now, that also goes down to be, when you have a smaller facility that it's not logical to have a person on there because it doesn't work. So that needs to be way more focused on the automation, maximization of that property, so that payroll doesn't eat up all your expenses, right? Um, and that there's a lot of ways that you can do that. We have a lot of automation. We have automation even with uh, multiple employees at our facilities. You're talking about a facility that's 150,000 square feet, does multiple millions in revenue. Um, our two employees there mean nothing as far as the revenue goes. And we can have two employees because of all the automation and everything in. So automation, the bigger you go, what it does is it reduces a total need of headcount by a little. We find that it's about a half a person right now. Um, but on properties, those sides, 1,500 units and customers, it's not, it can't be operated without. Then that's inverse, right? The smaller you go, the more you can't have those type of expenditures associated with that property. It just doesn't make sense. I hope that clarifies that on that part and what should I do? And if you're in a middle ground, it really depends. What's your ROI with having a person? Is it part-time? Is it not? Uh, can you go fully automated and not miss out on future revenue? That really depends on the market. That depends on the asset size, the workload, um, your management company that you're hiring, different things like that. Yeah, this is actually a really good topic because we got uh, we got this question I saw on YouTube recently that uh, I think you got a response off to that was essentially like, this is something that you, you're going to really have to kind of answer for yourself because it was like, yeah, you know, at what point does, uh, does it make sense to hire a full-time manager? It's like, well, that depends on a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Like that's your – like, again, generalizations don't work a whole lot in storage to where it's like all the, all the, all the factors that go into helping you decide – what that looks like and what your goals are and everything else. Uh, again, that's just going to be up to you. So that's yeah. a good, good topic you're hitting. Really on. good. And, you know, when we break this down into variable versus fixed cost, we have all things like computer software support. We have $3,000 for that. Call center is $3,000, $40,000 payroll. Um, and up front, we have a little more of those expenses included. Okay. So up front, when we're looking at some of these variable expenses, um, they may be higher and some of them will continue to rise with gross revenue where on the opposite side of that, some of them will lower. But the key thing that we're looking at is our total amount. So our percentage of all these operating expenses, management fees, we include bad debt expenses, right? 16,000 bad debt. Um, we include everything from uh, obviously utilities, travel expenses, 
phone, internet, taxes, supplies, small tools and equipment. That's another $1,000 a month. These are all monthly fees I'm talking here. Repairs and maintenance, $14,000 a month. And that brings us down when we're really looking at it to right about 37% expense ratio. Now, I'm not trying to squeeze out on this property two or three percentages in expenses because I'm trying to increase revenue by double, right? That's where I make my money. It's not by nickel and diming the expenses. I need to give the support and everything that I can. Then as that revenue grows within three years, I'm already down two, three percentages um, in expenses. Not that I'm cutting expenses, but revenue is growing more and more. And a lot of those expenses obviously are growing dramatically with it because of, of need and everything. But it's the, the total overall percentage. I want to keep new higher tenants coming in. I want to have nice looking product. We need to have a sales floor, all of that, right? This is a business. You got to think about lots of these expenses as not just pure expenses, but these are investments. These are operating expenses. They're not just like, oh, well, if I could cut my utilities down, that would be great. That's not how this works. Um, and especially not on the large property. That is one of the things that a property like this, right, will do. And what happens is this person's selling the property, right? And so they go and they go to put it out on market and they say, okay, yeah, we want to put this on, on market at whatever it is, a five, six cap, but our actual expenses is 20%. And guess what the market says? Nobody cares. You're underwriting this at a 35% yeah. expense ratio. Yep. So now all of a sudden, all that money you saved on trying to cut expenses, nobody cares and nobody's buying it off of that. They're buying it off a 35% expense ratio anyways. And we bought multiple properties like this where they had to actually increase that person's expense ratio. We just lost out on a deal that we were trying to, trying to build and they had to increase that person's expense ratio by six percentage points that they'd cut back because they thought it would help, help them in the sell. When actually what they probably did is they probably flattened their sales and they probably didn't get any new people at their higher rate. They let some things fall. So then they also had to include maintenance in their reserves and it just really hurts the owner. Um, so a lot of times this idea really backfires. You need to understand the expenses, why they're there and what you're getting from them. Okay. So our expense ratio, once again, here on this, we're right uh, about starting out 37% expense. That's our net operating income is now 62%. That gives us after our debt, right around a 30% cash flow margin. Okay. Um, the overview, once again, then on this year one, we're going to do about 230,000 year two, we're up over to 60. And by year three, we're refinancing it and we'll pull about 3 million out of it. Um, and then we're almost back to 200,000 after that. And by year five, we're already over 215. By year six, even with the 3 million out, we're already way above the 230. And that's not after the refinance, that's not even being aggressive, right? So you can see how much money we make on these things. And that's a 40% internal rate of return. And we're able to take that money then, by the way, the, one of the major reasons we do this is because on that third year, that money, that $3 million we're taking, that's tax-free. And then we're able to take that $3 million off this one property that we bought, okay? This one property that we bought, that we came in here, the site acquisition um, is uh, $5 million, right? The loan is uh, it's 5.5, excuse me. The loan is 4.1. So we had to put 1.4 million into it. And within three years, 
we're going to make 3.246 million, of which three of it is tax-free off our 1.4. It's incredible how much that can. And then too, by the way, afterwards, it's still, it's still cash flowing like 200,000. And it only takes two years after the refinance at a low, low increase to get higher than we were before. And we're not even including yearly increases of what we see as even normal over the last, I don't know how long it's been now. I've been in this game too long, 16 years. If you average out our 16 years, it's something like 12, 13% rate increases. If I included that in, this whole model would just be stupid. It'd almost be laughable. <laughs> so we don't do that. We keep it keep it conservative. conservative. Yeah. We keep it conservative. And that refinance period we're talking about, that's not at the refinance year uh, or rates that we're seeing. That's at a high interest rate. That's no interest only is included in this. Nothing. None of those goodies. And it's still performing like that. The thing that you need to remember is focus on the revenue and how your expenses contribute to the increasing of that revenue, right? And that's really important, making sure that you go in, your expenses that you have outlined are tr what I call true expenses, okay? So they're actually the expenses that you will experience, everything from taxes to management, all of that. Um, it's like, we, so we have one of our models that we put out, I think it's, I think it, it's, it was on the site, it's in the inner circle and uh, CRE circle that we have, but on the side, what I do is it's a probability. So every unit has a probability of achieving a certain price range, and then every expense has a probability of your model having that expense under it. The thing is, by the time you close, that expense should be 100%. Those expenses written in should be 100% this is going to happen. If not, you've done it wrong. Like you need to go into this knowing exactly what those expense ratios are going to be under you, not them, under you. And that's a big mistake a lot of people make. No, I like it, man. I think this is a great big overall picture of what you need to be focusing on. And I like how you tied, you know, what is, what is that return on investment of these expenses? Like they're not, they're not quote unquote expenses, they're investments. And what is your return on those expenses? And then also focusing on the controllables, focusing on the knowns and not trying to control uncontrollables or unknowns, underwriting conservatively. I think this is a fantastic overview of exactly how to walk through and analyze and underwrite a, uh, a facility, man. It was, it was a great overview. Yeah. I, um, I, when, how I look at this is with, um, on our expenses and on our revenue and everything that we're doing, I, and I try to make this clear in all our subject matter, when people say things are black and white, like, no, this is the way to do it, or this is the way that it is, you should immediately almost like just not listen. And I try not to be like that because investing is dynamic. When we look at properties, we find opportunities that other people don't because we don't have a static thing we're doing. It's a dynamic way of looking at it. How can we improve this property? What can we do here? And we find things that other people are missing where too many people come out and say, well, I need to be buying eight caps. Mm -hmm. Well, off what expense, off what revenue, how are they calculating? How is that under you? And people that get to black and white when that they, they actually find is it doesn't play out the way that they thought it would. And so their end result isn't even <laughs> what what they thought it was going into it. So right. I hope walking through this, it shows you how we approach things, how we're looking at it and looking at properties, which by the way, on this property, we were the high bidder. Um, we came in 
um, much over asking price. And I think the total cap rate on this property was probably a four cap when we looked at it. So this was one that other people hadn't really done their research and they missed almost all the opportunity. And we underwrote at higher expenses, everything else. And uh, so once again, it's be dynamic with it on your expense ratio, on your revenues, really dive into each line item and understand them. Couldn't have said it better myself. And we actually had a huge and amazing conversation about this exact thing with Jeremiah on the episode yes. that's just got Which published. Which was amazing. Right. Oh, it was like top five favorites of mine for sure. It's literally published right before this episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go and listen to that because that the value in that episode is insane. Insane. Um, another thing too, guys, uh, put out some stuff. Go check out our YouTube. We did a walkthrough on that. Um, but guys, if this is helpful, we're literally showing everything. Please, guys, like, subscribe to this podcast. Um, give us a good review. That makes a huge difference to us, everybody. It really helps us out. And, uh, you know, we want to show you everything we're doing and help you guys keep moving. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for all your support. And we'll catch you guys next time. Talk to you soon.